The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is filmmaker Hannah Curry. We talk about Hannah's career and how she got into making films and documentaries and what is already a hard segment of the industry to break into. We discuss talent, Hannah's latest documentary that's currently available to watch on BBC iPlayer. It's a complete feel-good watch and one that I really recommend that you sit down and enjoy. And we chat about some of Hannah's other work, which really does speak for itself. And as always, there's loads more. If you enjoy this episode, then share it on social media, or better yet, subscribe to Blethered if you haven't already, because it's a great help. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts. Don't fret about debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial debt advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly payments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash Blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. Cheers. So thanks very much. First of all, thanks for the coffee. You're welcome. That's a good start to my day. How are you? I'm good. I did walk into a bollard on the way here. Did you? Aye, which I hope isn't like setting up for the day, like Aye, full like into a room. was like, oh my God, are you all right? Um, which is pretty standard for me, to be honest. But um, In front of me, obviously, I've got all my research and all my notes. Mm. So many questions I want to ask. A couple of things I want to tell you. Not that you care, but what I think about your work. Um, but we'll start off with just you growing up. Where, where are you from? Oh, I always find that question really difficult to answer because I grew up in Kilbarkin, which is Renfrewshire, right, okay. but um, moved in primary six because my, my dad's got pharmacy shops in Bigger and I was quite badly bullied in Bigger. <laughs> do you know Bigger? I do know Bigger do and you? it's pure nowhere near Kilbarkin. No. It's like a way, way, way it's far, far out, away. It? So like moved in primary school to like a totally new school, totally new place. So, and I, I was kind of like, I just... I got on, I used to be like a real tomboy, so I used to get on with all the, the boys kind mm. of thing. So I was just quite badly bullied by girls. And uh, so I never really felt like I wanted to call that home. Yeah. And I stayed with my gran and mother for quite a bit during high school. So I don't, I honestly don't know where, where I'm from. I don't know where I would say. I was mm. born in Paisley. But I think that's part of the, I've been like looking a lot recently at kind of the importance of having a community and feeling like you, ha- you are from somewhere. Yeah. And I think that that might be like one of the reasons why I'm always kind of, I don't know, floating about, kind of like wondering like where I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be, those kind of things. So sorry, you just asked a simple question there. but No, but I like no. a complex answer. <laughs> okay. So does that make it easier? Because you moved down to London at one point. Does that make it easier for you to kind of come in and out of places? or? I don't think so. Like I think the move to London was just like I needed to do something for myself that was like a shake-up. And mm. I think um, probably around my late 20s that I realised like, maybe quite a lot of the decisions I made were motivated by fear or by like fear that I couldn't do something so like I would talk myself out of things like I I wanted to direct Mm -hmm. and I worked with a lot of directors when I was a commercial producer 
And I was always kind of like slightly, you know, either underwhelmed by kind of the final product or kind of like, oh, I'd really love to do it or I would have done it that way. But yeah. oh, I could never do that. Like, I don't know how to work a camera. I don't know what they're talking about. They all have total confidence and I don't have that. So I kind of got sick of myself, I think, a wee bit in my late 20s and was just like, why can't I? do this and you know I, I kept I kind of got told no enough that I was like no fuck that I'm gonna like I'm I'm not gonna ask you to personally solve the riddles or, or dilemmas of like existence in the universe but you said that you didn't have that confidence do you have a sort of explanation as to where that then can come from just for anybody in general the lack of confidence well you said that you didn't have the confidence but you obviously now must have because it. you're creating some amazing stuff I think like I think if you're a creative person who wants to I, I would even say, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm a fraud. Like I would come out with all those things. I that, would completely disagree. I'm sure everybody uh, who's seen your work would. I but. know it's crazy. Like it's crazy the things that you tell yourself. And I think, yeah, I think at one point I realised like how much in my I was getting in my own way. Yeah. Like a lot of the things that that you know, even when people would sort of say, oh, I love this, I would kind of find a way in my head to be like, oh, they're probably just saying that to be yeah. nice, or they're probably. You know, getting in my own way a lot, and I still do it. And I think it's—I think if you're the difference, I kind of realised between the people that were doing it and the people who weren't was just the, like going out and and giving it a go and getting better. And that is the only way to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's I like, agree so much. <laughs> like I like seeing there are times people often don't go out and create something because they think it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. And I always think it's better when it's not perfect because yeah. if it's perfect and it can't really be entirely you have your stamp on it like i like hearing people creating podcasts or writing things or or making wee films and i'm like i can see their personality in it mm -hmm. or the way that they don't know their wee style and it's like don't worry about it being perfect just going that's what i always say to people when they ask i get asked a lot about podcasts mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. people hesitate and i'm like just go and do it and then uh, figure it out as you go see like people were telling me to do that throughout my but i still didn't have that kind of inner confidence mm -hmm. i think that that is that is the difference, yeah. That obsession with being with making something really good, or you know, that kind of pride, or maybe a wee bit of ego of like, oh, what if I make it and it's shit, or what if I make it and yeah. nobody likes it? Um, getting over that basically, because you're you're not gonna your first thing isn't gonna be amazing, and you know maybe you're always gonna find flaws even with things that other people love. You know, you're gonna see what you could have made. Like that's never gonna kind of go away, but the the whole like talking yourself out of it completely because it's not going to be good is is one way to just stay still yeah forever you know yeah i can i completely agree with that and it, it also it's like if you enjoy it just go and do it yeah. don't really don't think about what other people are going to say yeah i think to give myself one wee bit of credit that's one thing when i started out because that's i'm actually now coming up i think in a few days blether will be three years old um congratulations thanks happy birthday i've got a too. toddler oh, God, I know. <laughs> and uh, but i like um at the time i remember thinking for about a minute and then i was like i don't really give a shit if anybody listens i want to do this because i'll enjoy it and i think therein there's just a wee something i don't know which kind of started me off and in, in a kind of good foot but you're saying about confidence and stuff and I, I don't mean to be sort of insensitive to be like so tell me about the most traumatic thing that ever happened in your childhood but do you think the sort of bullying thing was that like a pretext to having a lack of confidence i think so i'm actually like learning more I, i've all i've kind of like been out in and out of therapy before because i've been interested enough in like sorting myself you know like realizing like i'm not actually living life to the fullest here like there's yeah. something you know like i've i've always kind of like had a sense of that it's probably why i do a lot of kind of mental health related work because i mm -hmm. have a you know, a sensitivity to that. And um, 
and I've always been interested and I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing things recently to, to sort of explore that and I, I do believe yeah a lot of it comes from like very early childhood and I mm -hmm. think it's sort of uh, so my friend tells me who's a shaman <laughs> he told me about you know negative core self-beliefs that we carry and you you form these in really younger years and then you identify completely with them yeah. and you basically spend your life compensating for them so um so for instance you know i'm not good enough like or i'm not enough that kind of thing and it doesn't mean you know that it's bad parenting or it doesn't mean necessarily yeah that it's one traumatic event like not everybody you know a lot of people look back at it and say oh, i had a really happy childhood like I, I did you know and i've got a really good relationship with my parents um but i do think that you I definitely identify a lot with those beliefs that like they seem to be embedded in me, you know, mm -hmm. like that kind of like, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not, I'm not worthy or I'm not, that's kind of, those are the, the negative voices that I, I have to fight yeah. pretty much on a daily basis. And I do think I'm very interested in kind of learning about that more. So I'm sort of, you know, like with my friend, it's a shame and kind of exploring that. But I, I do, I do think, yeah, traumatic events and, and that doesn't mean that you've had this like massive, you know, like like huge adverse childhood experience, yeah. but something which has almost confirmed that negative belief to you. Um, so you know, if you were bullied and somebody's told you you're shit, then you that that strengthens that belief. Or if you perceive yourself to fail at something, you're like, oh well, I knew it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not worth it. Sort anything. of confirmation bias about something that actually shouldn't isn't it really shouldn't necessarily be there in the true. first place? Yeah, it's a real shame and the irony as well because you know, like when you're wee and. Uh, family will always say to you it's because they're jealous and you're like no you will fight with every fiber of your being and it actually probably was the case which is the real irony they obviously saw something um that made them feel sort of insecure in some way it's funny though what you're saying about about we things like it might not be this massive thing but so i, I i'm now say like 20 years later sometimes i'll just be walking down the street and i'll remember something that somebody said to me when i was nine mm -hmm. and you're like even at the time it felt quite trivial and inconsequential but it's obviously bothered me mm -hmm. like enough to kind of imprint in my mind yeah no and i think things things do and i i always try and sort of realize that i suppose and be really sensitive to other people and what they might have going on for mm. them because i think a lot of the time you know even when people react in ways that you might not understand there normally is a reason for it you know and and um i'm really trying i think like one one thing that's kind of currently overwhelming me is the state of the world and that we're all just in this big kind of you know everyone's just shouting and nobody's kind of agreeing and I'm, I'm kind of like how do you you know how do we get through that there must be a way a, a level of understanding that can be reached a level of empathy and then just like a way of working mm -hmm. together to move forward otherwise we really are you know so your solution is really cooperative and really nice and mine is <laughs> mine is a bit selfish not selfish but i'm just like pfft. I'm not watching the news, to be honest. Any major news will make its way to me. Like, yeah. I'm not having this constant bombardment of pure rage and wanting to, like, run through the TV head first because Boris Johnson's done something else. I know. I'm, like, I, I don't know where I stand in that because that's what, what I... That's what I struggle with as well because I'm kind of, like, I want to be part of the, the change, but I also yeah. recognise how debilitating it is to constantly be bombarded with news mm -hmm. that is that bad and that's <laughs> that kind of hopeless and actually you know a lot of the, the newspapers know that that kind of the kind of yeah the, again the negative stuff sells papers so I, like, i'm totally I'm, stuck i'm going to sound like the personification of the whole concept of giving a homeless person money but filming it mm -hmm. as if like aren't i wonderful but for me when i'm feel the world getting that bad for me i'll try my best to 
be nice to people just in my one-to-one. I'm like, I, all I can do is influence my wee world. I don't always get it right, but I will try. And it does uh, as a nice sort of, I don't know, like a wee change in mindset of, like, oh, it's not all so bad. Or if people are kind of nice to me, I'll kind of focus on that instead of, I just can't watch the news anymore, I just can't. Aye, no, I think that's a good thing to do. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I, I can't tell you how many people have told me to stop <laughs> and, and get off Twitter and all of these things because it's just the worst, it? doom, doom, doom. But, um, but I, I, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I oscillate between being like mega, mega like activist in my kind of, you know, mm-hmm. approach to just being like, oh my God, I can't, I can't look at anything or I'm just going to sit in a room and cry. So I haven't quite figured it out either, but I do think that, um, yeah, well, you have to look after yourself. You have to be in a, in a good place to even be yeah. able to help others. So to kind of jump along chronologically then, um, mm-hmm. because I will have origin questions, but we'll just talk about talent just now. So you're saying you're trying to work out how you can be part of making things better. I genuinely believe that this film is part of that. I can't explain, right? I'll make an admission and I never hide this. I was getting really teary-eyed watching it because you're pure rooting for these people. So Uh to give a wee, I'll let you explain it, right? But talent, you'll get it on BBC Scotland. Honestly, if you want a feel-good watch, and I'm talking to you that's listening, go and watch it, because I swear you won't regret it. To begin with, you're a bit like, I'll be honest, right? To begin with, I'm a bit going, mm, I'm not too sure about all these people. And within 10 minutes, I'm pure like punching air and all that, like buzzing for them. How did the idea come about for making it, first of all? Well, I used to be a commercial producer and I used to know Sonia, the agent, who's kind of the central character, mm-hmm. um, because I used to phone her up and get cast from her and I was always you know like I think if you if you're intrigued by people and stories you're always gonna you know when you meet one of those people you're just like they're they're fucking brilliant they've got a film in them or there's something to them so I was always kind of like you know just thought she was a hoot like she was out there she didn't do things by the book yeah and I think in the industry that was a wee bit kind of like quite a lot of people that would sort of you know maybe a little bit that's the word yeah um but, you know, I just, I've always thought the industry can be quite sneering in general. You know, I yeah. think that, that it can take itself too seriously. And I think, you know, you know, in this world where we do have, like, say, a prime minister that doesn't play by the rules, I'm like, I'm like, why is everybody so stuck on this is the way it is and this is the way it has to be? You know, yeah. like, we, at every level, absolutely, it has to be professional. But I, I do think that people kind of can be a little bit too snobby. That's my experience of the industry so I met this woman and I'm like she is a laugh and she doesn't do things by the book and you know to be fair to her we got loads and loads of people from her and they were from all walks of life they weren't trained actors for the most part um but they were here you know putting themselves out there auditioning in front of directors some of them you know would be like cleaning during the day and then coming in audition and putting themselves and not necessarily with experience but for one reason or the other and, you know, you would see the wee old man who maybe had lost his wife and this was what he was doing as a hobby. So I'd get these people in for castings and I'd just be totally, yeah, totally, um, what's the word, fascinated by them. and Enamoured in a way seems to be a good way. Aye. Well, that's how I felt, so yeah. I just feel like anybody would be. Yeah, totally. Just, you know, people that are putting themselves out there and it's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do. And maybe there's always a wee bit of me that sees something in a character that I don't have or yeah. want to be inspired by I'm like I'm like fucking go for it you go for it like Aye. you're doing it do you know what I mean and why should you not and um so I was like and then of course at that point I was working in commercials it took me as I said it took me a long time 
to pick up a camera to go and try. So I'd actually just come back from London and I got in touch with Sonia. I, I was totally lost career-wise. Like mm -hmm. I'd done my second film, um, which I... <laughs> was it Lumo that you had just done? The second film was uh, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. Uh, by the way, I need to see that. <laughs> We need to have a word with the BBC. Oh, to put it back to on. get it back on. Aye. I honestly, I was like, we'll talk. We'll talk about I'll that. See. We'll come to that. But incredible. Another one of these ones that I, I mean, again, I'm totally honest with 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 where I've always been personally because I think it does help other people try to get into it if you are really yeah. honest. Um, but after that film, I was convinced <laughs> that I failed. I really thought I'd failed. I didn't. I thought the film was a flop. I, I, I thought I'd wasted my one chance at funding. So I'd come back from London, didn't know where I was going to go career-wise and just thought, don't talk yourself out of this again, Hannah. Like, don't, yeah. like, you know, go back to... I was, like, looking at jobs, being a carer and stuff and, you know, like, looking at leaving the industry. By the way, uh, again, I'll just interject and say to the person listening there going, all right, I wonder what this film's like. It won a fucking BAFTA. Aye. So <laughs> <I know. laughs> that really is, like, you're just getting the total wrong end of the stick in terms yeah. of your own self-analysis. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's something, you know, and I think with, with talent, you know, being the most recent one I've made, I think it was the first film that I actually had a little bit of that self-confidence. Yeah. I do know what I'm doing and I do, you know, I can do this and yeah. stop. So so I'd basically approached Sonia saying, can I come down to your office and film some, uh, like, test footage? I spent five days filming with her, hilarious. Like, her mum, there's a wee, like, bit part of the elderly stuntman that's in talent. He's just at the start. Yeah. I, her mum went out on a date with him. She uh. set her up, up her mum on a date. So I filmed that. It was all hilarious. And then, of course, the pandemic <laughs> just yeah, obliterated everything. Well, I mean, I want to keep talking about this, right? There's so many things. Because, see, after I watched it, I was like, I must tell this person what I think of the thing that she spent months and months and hours and hours every day making. But there's so many things I love, right? So I love... Like one of the style things, and I don't know if this will make any sense of it because we've all got our own perceptions. But there will be like you're following somebody around, but then it will cut back to them in the studio commentating on themselves, which I thought it really made me think. And it was like, I we aren't, you know, they say like there's that saying, we are what we repeatedly do, but not always. You sometimes you can watch yourself in a scenario in a different environment, a different headspace, and you can offer some other different insight. It's almost been like, oh, here's what I was thinking at this point, or here's what I'm doing here. And it was really interesting. It was almost like watching two different people, even though it's the same person. Um, I love this style of you, just what you and the camera and speaking to them. It almost seemed <laughs> a wee bit mockumentary-like. Like now in the office, sometimes you hear the woman's voice talking to Doc David Brent, and it was kind of <laughs> jarring in like a positive way because you're like, this isn't this, this is real. This is two people, kind of the, what I'm doing, but except you're pointing the camera at them. And I absolutely loved it. And then... I think with the we honestly to you listening, and I keep saying this, you need to go and watch this. And I just felt there was a couple of times where I was watching like the young mum, and a part of me is like, why is why are you putting yourself through this? Why are you doing this? And I think she said she's like, it's not about it going anywhere. It's about the actual experience. And then I thought, fair play, like really, really putting yourself. I don't know. They're just this overriding message of just do what it is that you enjoy, and things will kind of. I don't know, everything will form around it instead of trying to find, I don't know, 
trying to find what do you think is the right thing and then hoping that there will be enjoyment within that. Mm-hmm. Just pursue the enjoyment and yeah. everything else oh, will come. Thank you so much for saying all that. That's really no, lovely. No, it was, it was, I really, <laughs> really so loved lovely. it. And like I say, as time goes on, and I, so every character in it, I say character, they're real people, but mm-hmm. every person in it, to begin with, you're like, all right, just somebody trying to make it. And then as it unfolds, you learn their story and then you're just like, I just want you to do so well. Aye. And I got really emotional when the young girl got the casualty job. Oh, I know. I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, so did I. Like, you you really are rooting for people as you follow them. And I suppose, like, you know, Sonia's got, like, thousands of people in her book, so we yeah. did have quite an extensive casting where we were kind of speaking to lots and lots of people, trying to find the right... Like, I knew I wanted somebody that had their whole family signed up because I was fascinated by that dynamic. But yeah. I thought I was going to go find, like, you know, the pushy mum, the drama, the kind of... Like, I almost thought I was going to find a family that were, like, unbearable, if yeah, you know what I mean. Aye. And then I found I found the Hamiltons, and, and you know, as it kind of progressed, I found there was more to Emma's story, that yeah. she had kind of her own mental health struggles, and this was something that she was doing. Like, and she, they look, like, 2.4 perfect. Like, they're gorgeous. Yeah. They've got good jobs. They've got a big house. And, yeah, they've just all... Their kitchen was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> they've got all mod cons. I couldn't even in their house, like, normally you'd want to film cutaways, and everything was just, like, shiny, surfaces like they didn't even have like a poster up or anything I was like what am I supposed to film here everything's too fancy (laughs) um but basically they're they're four totally different people but they're all human beings and Mm -hmm. they all have that relatable human you know struggle or or need you know to either be recognized or to fulfill you know something inside that and I think and and they all show that you can do it, you know. Even even if you don't do it the conventional way, like you can do it for yourself, yeah. um, and that's really cool. Um, it was it's it was really uplifting, really life affirming. My first made... uplifting documentary, I think. I, I, <laughs> compared to we'll talk about uh, a couple of the, the others. Um, one kind of final thing as well is what I loved is how the number is probably testament to you as a person not just because you have to get that out of people mm. but there was two things when the young South Africa guy who's born in South Africa when he's walking with his young brother and sister in the park mm-hmm. and there's a wee exchange between them I'm like oh my god I'm really going to get upset here it was just the loveliest loveliest thing and you're like you're just a really decent human yeah and we was it David that's in the Steps Tribute uh-huh. Act there's the moment where you start to really warm to him because you're seeing more of him as a person and I won't give it away, but the scrapbook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I just, again, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. We all, I think we all have those wee things in our own life or we all yeah, have those kind of relationships it. or that may not be represented in the same way, but they have that meaning to us. And when you see that playing out in somebody else, it it, it touches something Completely. in you. Like, um, so no, it was, it was it was fun and it was cool mm-hmm. to film. And I loved, I loved spending time with those people and I'd, you know, I am rooting for them. I want them all to be Me too. to be stars, um, or to at least you know just get just get the recognition that I suppose that they deserve, um, just in life and yeah. yeah. Well, in, in true haphazard style, I've just jumped straight into your most recent project without going back to the start. Like, into being a filmmaker, a director mm-hmm. is for a woman as well. Not to go down the the whole predictable route of is it real tough? Like, I too am a feminist and all yeah. that. Like, but how? How does that, where does that come from, like that desire to, to do that? Because it is unusual. To make films? Yeah. Well, like I think it it has come from childhood as well. I think when I really think back to before I started putting all the barriers up to why I couldn't do this yeah. and that, or before society started putting some of those barriers up, um, or people that I, you know, looked up to, um, I 
really want like always was fascinated by you know i would like look at people on the bus and want to get off the bus and thought which sounds creepy but <laughs> i'd want to know where they lived you know what's what door are they going to oh they live in this estate oh what's going on behind that door oh she's got this relationship with her auntie you know like yeah. because you know from your own family and your own mates and stuff like yeah when things happen, I like telling the stories of those things and people reacting to those stories and maybe, you know, getting a laugh from those stories or somebody kind of, or changing an opinion mm -hmm. with them or just connecting with people. So to be able to kind of do that on a bigger scale, I think is like the ideal scenario for me. Um, and when I was younger, like, you know, I used to watch like the, the really old Louis through like the weird weekend stuff like back in the... I am obsessed with doing that. Like I found a couple that he's made that were essentially like pilots. Uh-huh. Where he followed around, I think they were like KKK people. Yeah, <clears throat> I've seen them all. Paul's I was nodding, like... have you seen that one? Met on it. <laughs> Madness, like some, those ones way back in the day when, when basically like I think the beat he just entered the BBC at the right time and they basically handed them a wad of cash and was like... Did you know, do you know who he did these sort of like... Apprenticeship with Michael Moore. Aye. Aye. How mental is it? Of course you do. Why am I sitting asking an expert? No, Did you know I, this thing? I read his book, you know, when I was, I, I must have been like, it must have been before high school because I remember being really young in my old house um, and reading his book and like reading that and then thinking, right, so should I write to Michael Moore or, yeah. or should I write to Louis Theroux? And you know, you'd write and you'd never for hear any, it. For bad. anybody unaware or unfamiliar with Michael Moore, he created Bowling for Columbine, about the Columbine shooting massacre and Fahrenheit 9-11, amongst others. And he's like, he's got his own documentary festival, so I think he's one of these doc makers that has, has kind of established his own style, yeah. Michael Moore, and it's like, you know, this is how you make documentaries, a bit like Werner Herzog makes this kind of documentary, and if you want to be that kind of filmmaker, you mm -hmm. could apply to... Again, a lot of that is, is maybe too elitist for, for me, because I'm... You know, I'm not. I'll I'll take bits and learn from others and learn as I go along. Yeah. But um, certainly, yeah, I don't think I have an established style. But um, but sorry, you know, I, I interrupted. So I was asking about your sort of origin and getting getting into it. I so just like always, really, really curious, and then and then found it hard. Obviously, like I think everybody does to get into the media industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I started doing journalism when I was a teenager. Um, so I was writing like wee feature pieces at that time for the Herald and kind of off the back of, you know, writing loads of free stuff for blogs and things and got a work experience then, got my foot in the door. So I was writing a lot and meeting people that way and telling their stories and then journalism in Scotland kind of went to pot with the crash, like yeah. all the freelance staff um, lost their jobs and at that stage I was like ready to go to uni and it was kind of like, right, do I go to London or do I stay here? London was where it was all happening, but I was a bit, oh, I think I'll just stay here because I don't really know, you know, yeah. like just things like that. So, and I went into marketing and then I went into corporate film commercials. So I, I kind of found a roundabout way to do it, but I, um, but the, you know, the actual, I just felt so far away from being able to direct or film. Mm -hmm. I just thought that wasn't, I didn't even consider it as a job for me. No, but certainly nobody in high school was like, you should look at this or you should do this course. I... I just never thought of it. It would never occur to you, though, would it? Because it is such an abstract thing. You're yeah. like, well, that's just film directors already exist. Yeah. And they're a certain type of people and they, they're they really... Yeah, I almost wasn't willing to see myself in that kind of... And then the older you get and maybe the more dissatisfied with the kind of the things that you are doing yeah. or, or that kind of burning desire doesn't go away. And so then I started to try and find my way in. And I didn't find it easy, but... um. I kind of 
yeah, persistence is definitely a good thing to have. And I think if you do have that fire, despite all my kind of negative self-talk, I've also at the same time got this like really burning desire to do it. So if somebody tells me no, I'm just like, Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, do you feel as if sometimes you're like two dogs in the end of a rope running like in separate directions? Totally. Aye, it's madness. I never know how to describe it. It's weird. Mm. It's like, yeah, because people never believe when I say, oh, I don't have the clock. They're like, you're confident. And it's like, I'm not though. I might, I'm fiery. I'm like feisty. But the, yeah. you know. Well, you seem to me from what I'm hearing just now and seeing what you've created to be really brave. And that sounds really patronising, but bravery isn't the absence of fear, it's the presence of fear and pushing on anyway, isn't that it? That sounds pretty accurate, to be honest, mm-hmm. aye. aye. So, aye. Uh, yeah, so... Thanks, I'll yeah, no, that. I think I think it's a really, it's probably one of the best things you can be, because if there's fear is there, I find that more admirable than someone who doesn't perceive fear at all. Yeah, I think you have to have it a wee bit, and you have to always be aware of yourself and other people, Um yeah, I never would want to be arrogant, mm-hmm. I suppose. So. What what kind of commercials did you make? Um, I, was, I worked for STV Creative, so mostly oh, right. everything you see on STV, basically. Right, okay. Um, so like Lidl and Oxo and <laughs> all of your home products. I've done a few TV ads and I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, you seem you seem very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like in front of the camera? Aye, aye. aye you, you fuck's act? sake, you seem oh, even sorry, more surprised. sorry, I didn't know you were an actor. I'm joking, no, I'm not. It oh. was just by pure chance. Um, I did a few in Spain. Right. Um, and the, the funny thing is, they were pure massive. They were on like Spanish TV, but I never, nobody ever, nobody else was living in Spain, so they never saw it. I mean, which is quite annoying. As long as you get paid handsomely. Then. I know I did. Yeah, it was good. One of the best summers of my life. Summer twenty sixteen, I did one of them. I, mean, um, I did a few this year as well. It's quite. I just. It's quite fun. I like being in front of the camera. The commercials are are well funded as well, so they tend to have like the big team, and they actually are able to afford to do kind of the cool things that every uh, camera person wants to you know, try or every director wants to, but pardon me, um, when I was working in that, you know, I learned like loads about the industry, but I, I definitely had a feeling of like the pro, the, the thing that I was making, not quite cutting it for me. Cause it was a lot of money. I mean, I, yeah. I get paid more in commercials than I ever have in documentary. Yeah. Um, but I wish I had the commercial money to make the docs. Is it like, if you're doing a commercial, it's within their creative parameters. Whereas if you're making a film, it's within yours. Like, I think if you're making a film for commission, um, you know, for TV or even with funding, mm-hmm. it's never totally your own. But I think that's probably quite a good thing as well because you can get a wee bit boxed in to your own perspective. It can be a really good thing to have, you know, executive producer yeah. and one that you like working with, that you rate, um, to sort of say, oh, I'm not quite getting that actually from that. Why don't you try this? Or I'm kinda... So I, it, you're always going to have a steer, but definitely with a commercial the most important thing is to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's maybe slightly at odds with like my world view of capitalism is killing us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it didn't quite, it didn't quite like You're sitting there sit with to... me as well as that. You'd be sitting in these meetings with people just like talking about the absolute importance of windows, you know, and you'd just be like, oh, I just don't, yeah, I don't, I don't feel this like passion for your windows. I can just kind of imagine you standing up being like, right guys, hear me out. What if, what uh, if we created a film that galvanise the proletariat into overthrowing the bourgeoisie. What about that? Exactly. And you're not, you're just going to be met with like total <laughs> blind faces <laughs> in that world. I think I don't, it's not that I don't, you know, I do still do things with a commercial element, but maybe more ethically kind of. Yeah. And I definitely don't look down on anybody that does that because it's it's income. We all need income. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, you can support 
the passion projects with the commercial projects. Totally. Um, which is always kind of the way I saw it working for me. But it's just difficult to have the enthusiasm. It's like, you know, somebody saying, you know, when you went for a bar job when you were younger and they wanted that bar job to be absolutely everything to you. You need to love this bar as much as we love this bar. And yeah, you mate. live, breathe this bar. You and Don't you're give just a like, fuck about your bar. Exactly. Deep down, you're just like, I, I don't like pretending. I'm quite an honest person, so I don't like pretending to be super passionate yeah. about something I'm not. I remember going for my first job. It was at JD Sports, and my mum was kind of prepping me for the interview, and she's like, see, you're interested in fashion and this <laughs> yeah. and that. And I was like, man, I just want your shitty 358 an hour so exactly. I can go and, like, sneak into, it was C, it used to be Destiny, uh, sneak into dancing in town and have like I, I used to go in me like 18 quid and somehow it end up absolutely steaming as well don't know how I managed that one I know the, the money even when it was rubbish back in the day could get a lot more you're mentioning there then the commercial projects funding the passion projects so we'll talk about that joke isn't funny anymore so this is your BAFTA winner the first minister Nicola Sturgeon tweeted that the really moving story had been beautifully and poignantly captured now whether or not you're a fan of the First Minister and her politics or not, you have to acknowledge it. That is quite a significant level of praise, isn't it? I was buzzing with that, like, ah, totally, totally buzzing. Um, and I heard she follows you as she well. She does, yeah. Aye, I know. Pals us. <laughs> so there's hope for us, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, well, I am, I, I'm, I'm pro-independent, so um, I, I saw that Frances MacDonald, um, who had done music for the film, she followed him. And I just, like, at that point, I was in one of my kind of, like, right, here we go, let's, like... And I was like, why don't you <laughs> why don't you put it in front of Nicola? And bless him, he did. And she tweeted it. And yeah. I was like, you know, and it's just amazing, something like that. And I think, you know, like... Yeah, one of the things that I think that Evan says in the talent film is, like, these days, anything is possible. Like... Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that there was one way to do things and, and now, you know, in this world, you can actually, you can kind of go places if you're crafty about it and you, yeah. you keep... So um, just something like that. It's like she, she's the first minister of the country. She's a much more um, able and honest politician than Boris Johnson is. So, I mean, that's quite that's quite amazing that somebody like that senior working enjoyed it. and She felt compelled to say something. Exactly. I loved that. And... While and it's I, my auntie that's in the film. So yeah, I know. Like, so, like... well, so the the couple featuring the film, it's your aunt and uncle, uh, Lindsay and Paul Devereaux, is that mm -hmm, how you say their name? Mm -hmm. uh, so their lives changed forever when Paul, a painter and decorator, suffered an aneurysm 11 years ago. Was it 11 years ago, was it? Aye. When yeah. he was 44. So surgeons operated, but they found another aneurysm in an even more dangerous place. So did he basically opted for surgery? Yeah, But yeah. his short-term memory is badly affected. Aye. Now, and a lot of other things. Really. Yeah. So one of the things I've got is a bizarre quirk is left in telling the same jokes over and over again without uh, realising it. Yeah. Realising it, sorry. Um, that fucking wears thin. It uh, can, can't it? Aye. Uh, oh, it's it's really... It's, it, everybody always kind of laughs when they see it or they'll say, oh, I know a few people like that or my dad. And it's like, it is the extreme version of that because the repertoire of jokes is maybe like 50 jokes. So, yeah. you know, you'll hear them again and again. Um, and for him... It's 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 a sort of a a comfort place to go because his memory's bad or um, you know that's kind of like what his brain will just will just offer up as a you know he's forgotten what he wanted to say or he's forgotten your name or he's he doesn't really know where he is in the conversation so he's going to tell a joke because he knows mm -hmm. how to do that and there'll be a kind of compulsion to finish the joke. Yeah, it's because of the part of the brain that's been yeah. affected. That's there's a there's a but do you not think like what is it they say that 
comedy is beside tragedy. Yeah. And it's like, that is, like, see, let's just say, for example, there is some higher power. Let's just say it's God, we'll call it. And God's like, do you know it'll be a laugh? If the only thing this guy always remembered were the same jokes over and over, like, you're like, oh, God. It's like a puppet master Because there's somebody that I'm very close to uh, in my life who has vascular, like, dementia, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, and it's actually very, um, what's the word? It's all right. It's only when this person is under, uh, going through periods of stress or is stressed in a moment, or brain power has been used, that it flares up. Yeah. And when it flares up, you're like, oh, God, that's noticeable. Because you get the same stories over and over, or you get asked the same things over and over. And um, it can, like, I understand, I really understand it can be frustrating, and you feel like the worst person on earth, because you're like a bit, right, I've, uh, yeah, we've spoken about that. There are other times where I think my reaction becomes... Into, it's never externally harsh, like I'm never harsh to the person, but internally it's quite harsh mm-hmm. because you're just getting so frustrated. You're getting frustrated at the situation. You're getting sad for them. And then that's kind of how it feels. But when this person isn't stressed and I get the same story over and over, it's kind of like hearing a song. I'm like, well, this is just what this person says and I'm going to just kind of enjoy it. And it's funny that, that how I'm picking up and whether this person is stressed out or not then I get really annoyed at it. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I go away, I could beat myself up. I'm like, I am an awful human. Why am I getting annoyed at them? And like, I'm not getting annoyed at them. I'm getting kind of saddened by what the bigger picture is. Yeah. And it's funny that. And it's easy to, because unless you're in that situation and most of us aren't until we've either got like someone in later years with yeah. dementia or, you know, you, you might know somebody with an acquired brain injury, but um, most of us aren't in that situation, and, and if if we are, you know, we're used to this kind of this life where everything, and as soon as an inconvenience is put in place, we're not used to it, and it yeah. kind of shocks us. And it's and it is a really difficult thing to deal with. Like it's difficult to because you don't know what the best thing for that person is. Too, it's like, do I tell you, or oh, you've already told me this, or just do, do I just humour you? Yeah. But either way, he would kind of forget, you know, yeah. and that. So, um, and obviously for my aunt, like that, that was compounded that experience because like. A bit like here, you know, as you can imagine, the support is kind of for a short period of time and then the funding runs out and then there's no support. Yeah. Um, and they live, like, in the country. You know, this was meant to be their dream home in the country. It's outside and, Dublin, is it? Aye, Wicklow Mountains. So it's just, oh, right, aye, aye. it's totally uh, remote. Um, and, you know, so it's it's a very, like, I kind of saw that house as, like, a bit of a... It's, it's everything that I think my auntie needs in the middle of nature and to have a break. And he loves all of that stuff as well, but it's also within those four walls, you know, it's quite a difficult place to be because mm-hmm. she's alone with that and kind of she's made a decision. A lot of people um, that have a partner that gets a brain injury, the, the marriage doesn't last yeah. because it's just you are essentially living with a different person. And, and you know, and, and there is no right way or wrong way for that either. It's just I wanted to... The reason I made that film is because I had members of my own family um, who had sort of got really frustrated with Paul to the point where they didn't they were a bit they've, they've, they're done with each other that's mm. it because they felt like some of his bad behaviours because um, he does you know as much as the joke thing's funny he has sort of um, you know he'll he'll go to the pub 
when we you were supposed to have plans and he'll yeah. just go and then he'll show up. You know, we'll do other things. Yeah. Um that is kind of, you know, is it is it him being a chancer? Is it the brain injury? Is it a combination of both probably because he always was a bit of a chancer. Yeah. So members of my family were like, not enough. You know, he you can't act like that or he can't treat Lindsay like that or we're we're and I was like, well you don't have a brain injury. You don't know what it's like. You don't yeah. know how terrifying that is, how lonely it is to wake up and not really and you know, have that ability that you had before mm. to reach words or thoughts or memories. So I wanted to understand that. So I went to make the film about him, but it kind of more became about my auntie because yeah. I think what I realised was that, you know, you you do need a, a journey to follow. And at the moment, Paul is kind of... I don't think that things are going to massively move move on for him in terms of that because... The support isn't there. He doesn't do the things he's meant to do to help himself, and mm. he maybe has maladaptive behaviours, smoking and drinking, which which could make it worse. But even speaking about a family member like that, I don't even like doing it. It's, I know. it's weird. And I get that. Uh, it's you're, hard. you're not speaking out of turn or anything. No, it's it's obviously very emotional and evocative for you, but you're just kind of calling it as it is, really. Aye, I just wanted to sort of. And there isn't actually an answer. I think that's another thing. It's like you go make that film to try and like find, but there isn't yeah. always a happy ending. There isn't always a solution or like, oh, I've made that. And that's, you know, they're still in that situation. But the amazing thing about that film was the response to it and people who reached out who had somebody in their family with yeah. a brain injury who were just like, you've captured that, you know, everything about the the love, the, the care, the frustration, everything that you just described with your, yeah. you know, you feel you feel for them. Totally. And you feel bad about yourself for feeling, you know, so it is a complicated thing. Because from like the, the limited amount that I've seen of it and then that we're kind of discussing, it's like every, I don't know, maybe that's what I find really engaging about your work that I've seen is every story traditionally has this arc mm -hmm. here's the beginning or here's the challenge the dilemma but here's the happy ending but sometimes that's no life mm -hmm. and to just capture a snapshot to go like here is just a glimpse into this and this is just what it is and reality is not always a happy ending and like a sort of musical outro and all that and sometimes it is pretty brutal Aye. <laughs> totally. <laughs> i mean if there's ever a time to make documentaries it's now because Real life really is stranger than fiction, mm. I think, oh, a, a, a lot of the time. Um, you just can't believe some of the stuff that happens or some no, of the... No, nothing shocks me. Yeah. yeah. Nothing shocks me over yeah. the last two years. Have you seen the... There's the Paul, you might have seen this as well. The, um, the comedian, and she's basically superimposed herself on like a BBC News interview, and she's been... So they... The news presenters like, where are you at a party or whatever? Oh, so she's then acting out and going, well, I don't know if I was at and all this, and I don't know if I was at a party, and um, I'll need to wait to find out to the inquiry to discover if I was actually there and all that. And I've seen her stuff before, so I knew it was a joke. But I was like, that could be real. That could be real, or like that kind of ridiculousness on TV. Or even I remember seeing um, something about NASA discovered aliens. Mm -hmm. about a year ago and it just nobody even batted an eyelid it's like <laughs> not, nothing is nothing's shocking no anymore. I know I know um and it's nice to be able to have something to like make sense of it I suppose because at yeah. least with a film you can kind of give it a go um in a podcast <laughs> the other one we need to talk about we are all here the Lumo documentary so this is 21 year old Callum Barnes better known as Glasgow rapper Lumo takes his own life he's just 21 and it sends shockwaves through the Scottish hip-hop community 
as his family and friends try to make sense of his struggle, they uncover hidden clues in the lyrics and video diaries he left behind. Talk me through that. Like, Aye. did did you know about the clues and thingies afterwards, or was that as you went through this film? As I went through in the middle, so like first film I'd ever made, and interestingly, like really felt a calling to make it. Like I've never had such. I've I've I was making the film about my aunt and uncle at uni. Mm -hmm. Um. That's kind of what I applied to my masters with to that story. That was going to be my graduation film, and then I saw the news around Lumo's death. I read something by uh, Darren McGarvey at the time that I found horrifying and poignant about you know the Clyde and and how many young men have lost their lives to it, and and the kind of divide, and you know that we need to. I, and that was interesting to me at the time because I was, you know, I used to work in that kind of media city that's sort of been built up around the Clyde. Mm -hmm. But we do kind of avoid this this big discussion over depression and yeah. death that happens um, in Glasgow and a lot of deaths of despair. You know, whether that's through drugs or suicide or, um, I mean, we have huge issues with that here, and it's it's kind of every so often it's talked about in the news or it flares up, and then it kind of and of course that's all issues do. But I saw about a uh, Lumo passing away and I, I knew quite a few of his friends kind of in the hip-hop community and um like just basically saw this response that they'd had to it yeah. and the outpouring of just support for each other like confusion at why he'd lost his life um and kind of like a real aversion to that happening again I suppose so people I did sort of see people really starting to open up and talk to each other which I mm. felt was unusual because normally it was like slagging each other off yeah. or and, you know, they go at each other. It was something that I found quite difficult um, when I was kind of in the community filming was just, like, the words that they fling around to each other. And I, I was like, oh, you're, you're being horrible. Was this in, like, sort of battle, rap battles and stuff? They do it on, like, Facebook and stuff as well, right, but okay. in rap battles. But that kind of extends off to, like, you know, oh, it, such and, and yet in their own songs, they'll kind of diss each other and it's yeah. really brutal stuff. And, and it's part of the... That's part of that... Um, that's part of that community and it's actually a healthy way to, you know, to have fights. But I was always like, oh, uh, my God. Dar Darren, uh, I did a live show in November mm -hmm. at St. Luke's. And that, that did you? Yeah, yeah. I heard. So Darren, um, I was asking him about, as he made the his personal evolution onto things like Question Time and all that, I was like, were you ever daunted in any way? And he said, no, because, um, what was it? He's like, because I grew up in the era of rap battles where you're just one where your module can away if you scrap them. And he's like, so Humza Yusuf, doesn't he intimidate me? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, and I love it. And he totally wipes the floor with everybody when he's on. Uh, and it's great. It's great to see that. And it's so important as well. And I think that's just the start of, you know, what should be happening. Like yeah. more voices on TV that people feel represent them because that's how you engage people. You know, there'll be a whole new audience for question time now with Darren on it totally. and, and that's I don't really watch it if he's on it aye aye so so yeah I think um I can't remember what the question was but I I, I read I read all that stuff and then I, I reached out to two of his mates and we had some zoom calls because I was in London at the time and and um they were just keen the the story had been you know misrepresented in the media the son has announced um things before the family knew and things like that. So they did a horrible oh, experience in the media. Imagine my shock that they've done that. I know, I know. It's just, it's sad, it really is. Um, and they were like keen, I think, to, you know, I think they were dealing with a lot of confusion as well and, and wanted to, and the family, and wanted to 
do something you know that they felt was going to be proactive mm -hmm. something to come out of it that would would you know stop other families from going through it so they were really open to being interviewed um but his mum was always quite you know in the background reluctant and eventually Sophia's sister I met his mum lovely wee woman called Janet and uh, just got on like a house and we were just over coffee and she said oh, well, we did actually find some videos um on Callum's camera wow yeah, and um, they weren't able to watch, they didn't feel able to watch them because they were worried about what they would um, contain, whether he was going to be talking about that. And so they just gave them straight to me without watching them, which was wow. like incredible. Very trusting. Um, aye, and that was like, at this stage I was in the edit. Like the way it was at uni, you had to book the edit. Like one group of people got like 10 weeks yeah. in the suite and then the next group. So I'd booked my, because I was like, oh, I've filmed it all. This is my edit, and then had come back to Glasgow to film something. Met Janet, got those videos, and and then the whole edit fell apart because I was just like trying to fit them, and yeah. I just realised the whole thing. He needed to tell his own story, and mm -hmm. it was a pain. My first painful lesson of like having that fixed idea of what a film was going to be, and yeah. then it kind of moving. But um, yeah, the videos were incredible. They were like things he'd made for YouTube but hadn't uploaded God. about mental health. There's something deeply artistic about that as well. And you just think then what an what an added, like every life lost is a real loss. But if you've got some gifts like that or some, like, cause that is really, it, that kind of immediately, I don't know why, but it makes me think of when David Bowie didn't tell anyone he was ill, but he f unfollowed everyone on Twitter and he only followed God. Really? Yeah, I and that was the one person he was following on Twitter was God. Who's who's God's Twitter account run by? Well, I Probably mean, at, at the tweet of God or something <laughs> like that. Um, and it was just one of those things I was like bloody hell like that I don't know that sort of it's just something very artistic about it yeah I think maybe the need to the need to document and the need to um, write you know because obviously he wrote a lot of mm. hip hop lyrics which were also you know when you listen in hindsight it was someone called him the best Scottish lyricist didn't they only oh, 21 he's well 21 in three albums you know I think people forget that as well because yeah. he, he was young but it's like you know he could have gone on to do amazing things and he was very articulate and yeah. by all accounts he was but he was sort of experiencing an identity crisis and, and mental and grief as well he'd lost a friend of his so there was all sorts of um factors that were playing into i suppose his final decision to do that but i just thought 21 years old and and you just you know like that just should not no. be happening and it and it is happening you know not long after Lumo died and another boy, Lego, who actually did a lot of Loki's beats. He, right, did, okay. he, he, he wrote all the beats for Loki's TV series. Right. Took his own life as well. Um, 24 or 26 maybe. But aye. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, and my brother was a big fan of his and, and like Tim, you know, Tim had been kind of talking to him like on messages and stuff. So Tim was really, really absolutely gutted. And obviously mm. when we were editing the BBC version of the doc, Scott Hutchison, took his life as well. So I, I just feel that, you know, how many people are we going to have to hear about before, you know, we address mental health services in this mm -hmm. country? Because I think that that seems now to be the main crux of the issue, isn't it? Because we can we can talk and talk and talk all day and we can we can sort of look back and say, look how far we've come and how many things that we can talk about and because the landscape has changed like immeasurably since twenty seventeen. Is when I'm late twenty seventeen that I started noticing the sort of public discourse in that sense evolving or opening up or changing. And there's only so many tweets and like for awareness and stuff, and they're all well intentioned and mm -hmm. they're good and that. And 
but unless they're actually backed up with proper services, it's it's very much like saying, you know, we're also aware of cancer. This is great. Read read RT to show that you hate cancer, and it's mm. like, yeah, I'm not being disparaging towards that in any way. But unless you back that up with actual treatment yeah then the cancer's not going to go away and it's the same for these issues i and it's just i don't i don't know what because I, i've been shouting about it for so long and so many people have and you get really really frustrated but i mean i think like I, when i wrote to the government i ended up on um i ended up on the the question thing Shit, for the, yeah, the covid briefing didn't I, I ended up got on the this COVID written down as well because I, mind is a, a actually the Lumo film won a Mind Mental Health Awards. So they have like Mind Media Awards, um, not on during COVID, but they were like a big media awards in London, mainly for network TV. But they had one We Student Award, and I was there <laughs> to get that. So we took Callum's sister, and um, it was amazing. Like his sister and his friends were there, and and but I, it's about you know media that that responsibly and you know effectively tries to raise awareness of mental health issues rather than say the schizophrenic storyline and the soap where the guy's a murderer. There's a lot of, like, yeah. there's a lot of really damaging stigma out there. And it's not to say that, you know, but, like, m most people that have um, schizophrenia aren't murderers, you know? It's yeah, like there's I... a lot of people with treatment. And so that sort of thing, it's, like, you know, challenges that stigma and has a, has things that actually, you know, sensitively um, portray and sort of raise awareness. So... Through that, I'd sort of stayed in connection with Mind and they'd asked people to ask this question of Boris Johnson, can we have a mental health spokesperson? I mean, that's not even a big ask. It's just no. signpost people to the right places because a lot of people are suffering right now. And he said he would do it and he never did it. Um, and I think I got a letter back from Downing Street that was like, oh, we've put, it was like five million into NHS services. It's like when you consider that they, they spent 37 billion, that's just disappeared off the face of the planet. Yeah, they track stole and trace. it. Yeah. They stole it. Five million. It's like that's just that's one one pound per person in Scotland. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like they stole it. So it's it's it, you, you kind of then have to reflect and go. Can you argue that these people aren't sociopathic and evil? Because what did you say? Thirty seven billion. Thirty seven billion. On I'm pretty, I can't remember what it was like, but there was I think it that's the a, entire Scotland. It sent like a probe budget. to Mars, and it cost less than that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. So they, st they stole it. Yeah. Yeah, that's just what they did. There was actually as a, a prominent Scottish businesswoman, and I say that with contempt oh in air God. quotes, who that. was also involved in uh, basically the robbery. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd call it, a robbery, a public robbery of PPE equipment. Um, I could be talking about anybody, so <laughs> shove your lawyer's but letter what, up your ass. What on earth do we do? I mean, like, let's not even go down that route. What do we do about it? But um, We evoke the spirit of Robespierre, and we uh, exactly. we start a, a revolution, basically. We, we, we start a revolt. I feel like that's the only, it's going to be the only way. Some, you need to uh, draw some socialist ghosts out of your next ghost hunting experience. Yes. <laughs> James <laughs> Conley, where you at? <laughs> um, but I, I think, um, I can't even remember what the original. Me neither. No. <laughs> um, what the question was. I don't know, but I've enjoyed the way the conversation yeah. has just flowed anyway. But we're kind of talking about Lumo and talking about the, um, how you've ended up on the uh, Downing Street briefing, which I believe... You were told you better ask this question word for word the way you've written it, yeah. and it had to be pre-recorded. Yeah, it had to be pre-recorded. And man, and we we laugh at you're not sneer and laugh at North Korea. I know, I know. We're I no mean, better. there's no option there because people, oh, you should have, and it's like you don't. You're on the screen. That was pre-recorded, yeah. and it was word for word. 
But I thought Mind were obviously right behind it because they, they, their whole thing is, it's a start. They're like, we just need a start. You know, even a gesture that you're taking mental health seriously yeah. would be good and they couldn't even do that. Um, so I don't know. I, it, does, it does really worry me because I think more and more, you know, as the, the challenges of the, <laughs> this challenging world, like pe people are kind of finding themselves in that headspace so, and not really knowing how to get help or, mm -hmm. or or having a really inconsistent experience. So I would love if we would look at that. And then and that goes for the Scottish government as well. Mm -hmm. I think it, it needs to... I might actually just sort of take the opportunity um, to, to say as well, and I hope I'm certainly not pontificating to anybody, but just pointing out if there is it, if you are kind of struggling or having an absolute shocker, it's great to speak to your pals and it's great to express yourself and it's great to get things off your chest in whichever way you see fit. But also seeking, and I know this is then a bit of a double-edged sword because I'm encouraging you to seek sort of professional assistance in some way. And it's then not always readily available. But I suppose the best example I could give is as a, I'll share no details, just somebody I know who's been having a really torrid time for a couple of years and has taken the first step to seeking some sort of help. And without even having had his first sort of official thing or any medication, he feels immeasurably better because he's taken the first step to actually doing something and not to be um, flippant or to compare a real physical illness like, let's say, a form of cancer or anything else because it's really serious in its own right, and I don't think it's disrespectful to kind of compare it to something. However, if you had that sort of affliction or illness, then the best thing you can do is seek proper care and treatment. Otherwise, things are never going... No, I don't want to say things are never going to get better, but it's unlikely that they will get massively better. So that's the one thing I would like to put uh, in there. I think, like, and somebody just told me... Well, it was a therapist <laughs> um, the other day. It's like, it's a thousand and one things that are going to are going to build up to make make you feel better a thousand and one little things it's not like you know you might be looking for that a bit like yeah never getting off the starting block with a job like if you have yeah. such a a low if your self-worth is low or your your general mood is low like your energy is low it just seems like a mountain to climb for a lot of people and they're looking for that one i just want to feel better i'm looking for that yeah. one thing that's going to flip it and actually it's like a series of really tiny things like just like if you feel really just get up and have a shower totally. you know and then once you've yeah. had that shower eat something healthy it's like a th like wee wee tiny small wins that are collectively and over time you begin to feel yourself coming out of it and yeah absolutely it's like seeking help it's like even if you know even if if you're you're oh what's the point in seeking help what's really there it's like you taking that step for yourself is is just doing something for yeah, you that, totally. that shows there could even be let's say there's 10 things and you can you can only influence four of them or oh, influence those four because then the burden is a lot less and then it's less daunting because you're like oh right okay there's six things i need to kind of yeah. check off like that's the start of this year i've had a really strange start to the year um i felt quite low energy i kind of doubt myself question myself which on one hand, I'm like, I quite like that about myself because I'm always evaluating or trying to refine or how can I get better? But it can also be a bit like, oh man, this is thing. Do you know how much we're at the, uh, we're at the I feel like I work, I work hard, I work a lot. We're in the 13th of January. First bit of work I did was yesterday. I've just been like, do you know what? Go to the gym, eat your food, switch off, go for your walks and just kind of get through this wee period. And that was for me. I'm like, I can't solve this mini existential crisis 
in one week or two. But what I can do is do those things that I know will benefit me. And it's been, yeah, 20 minutes in the sauna and listening to my podcast. And then it's like, I feel as if I can take more on now. Aye. And right. and can I just acknowledge in that, like, even superheroes like me, that's mm-hmm. I'm obviously being, I'm joking, <laughs> um, can feel, I really feel it sometimes. Aye. But I'm quite good at it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm probably a bit too kind to myself, to be honest. No, not at all. I don't think there's such a thing nowadays. I think it's like you, as long as you, you know, the most important thing is is to have some fulfillment and enjoyment in life. Yeah. I mean, that's all all we really should be working for is to is to you know yeah. enjoy and and hopefully enjoy your work as well. But nah, you should be good to yourself. Like especially right now, you've got it's, to... it's helped. Because see, if this was a week ago, I probably couldn't have. Aye. I could have done this the interview or this conversation but I, I would have you. been a let loss mm. a lot less present I think yeah yeah oh, I mean I like I've, I I do in winter I think it's probably always quite difficult and, and every winter maybe it's like a wee bit more because I'm like oh this I get oh I always return to that you know like yeah. but I've actually started like I'll get to a point where I'm like ready to put myself up the arse and I'm glad that and only because I recognize that if I don't you know it's quite a slippery totally. slope down if you, you don't that, address you it arrest, you can don't you? It was yeah. an intense year. I worked uh, right right up to the end and then it was like, oh man, I'm just switching off here. I feel you. And I've oops, oh. that's my Apple Watch. I've also I've not been I've not I say like as if I'm a pure habitual daily drinker, but I've not drank for a few weeks either. Because I've recognised I'm like, Bleh, that's the last thing I need right now is booze. Good for you. Is it depressing? I wish I could say the same. Um this has been amazing. I feel like I could go for hours and hours. So I'll just need to get you back Aww. at some point. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for I'm coming. Buzzing to be here. I'm, I'm a big fan and also just lovely studio. And yeah, really, really nice to just have the opportunity. This to... lovely studio. Paul, what's the studio called? The Green Room. The, the Green, Green room. room. If anybody, if, if uh, you're looking to, to record anything, although Paul's very busy, aren't you? You're totally booked out. You will take inquiries, so if you're looking for somewhere to, to record a podcast, which I encourage that you do, if it's something that you think you want to do, then give Paul a shout because the place is absolutely fantastic and it's right next to Charing Cross, so it's centrally located. Um, the only question I've got then is, may I please have access to these documentaries? Absolutely. So I can keep waxing lyrical about your of work? Of course, I'll send you the morning. Um, yeah, I mean, it's bit like those early ones are, are awareness raisers. I'm yeah. keen that they're seen, you know, like the most totally. important... Thing for me is to have an audience really so yeah and, I'll, I'll get them over to and you. if anybody for the bbc's listen which you should be why <laughs> wouldn't you be then please get these back on because they they need to be seen well thank you for coming thank and you. thank you again for listening and we'll be back with another episode of blethered soon cheers blethered was written recorded and produced by sean mcdonald in association with the big light Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and Old School. All on The Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.